This podcast is part of the A3K Network. For more information, visit www.anime3000.com. Speakeasy Podcast. I'm your host, Kate, also known as Narutaki. And I'm Alan, otherwise known as Hisui. And this podcast and every podcast is brought to you by Anime 3000. Thank you very much. They just added another podcast. They are really up in there. The ante over there. It was, um... It was and like a riffs. A, yes. It was, like, it was like a riff track thing. Yeah, so you can basically listen to the podcast while you're watching an episode. There's instructions at the beginning of the podcast to tell you how to sync it up. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 sort of thing. Well, yeah, they, they provide funny commentary on a, you know, a show that deserves a little ribbing. Maybe a interesting way to watch an otherwise painful anime. And they are always looking for more podcasters, more ideas. You know, they're... Anime 3000 is really expanding lately, so if you guys have a, you know, an idea for a podcast or you want to do a podcast or a video cast, whatever, you should definitely submit. It's a, you know, fun. The only way to find them is to look for them. If anybody is really knowledgeable about their anime scene but outside of the U.S., I think Anime 3000 would really appreciate, you know, an English language. Somebody living in Japan, Hong Kong, maybe Brazil... I I think that a lot of countries outside of the U.S. and Japan have really active anime communities. And I think maybe you should try your hand at speaking to your fellow countrymen and and letting the rest of the world know about your fandom. Letting people know about our fandom, uh, you can visit us at reversethieves.com. That's our blog. You can find old episodes of The Speakeasy at thespeakeasypodcast.com. And you can always contact us on that, you know, time sync that is Twitter. Oh my god, I know. It's always up now. I'm always like, no, let me just uh, see what's going on over there before I do this thing. Participate in the Moe Wars or, uh, you know, be extremely unhelpful tech support people. Oh my god, F all of you people. I know that's just gonna, like, make it worse. It's like trolls, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But we serious- I seriously had a virus problem the other day and I have a Mac and I could get no help from anybody. I had it was a, just like that freaking penny arcade. Yeah, it was like, hey guys, my, my ATI card isn't working. Can anybody help? And it was like a page of, hey, my independent driver works. And, hey, Max will get viruses. And, blah, blah. and it's like, wow, guys, I hope that you all die in car fires. So if you want to be nice to me, though, you can talk to me on Twitter. I'm Narutaki RT. And I am Hisui RT. And if you want to um, send us an email, you know, we take suggestions for the podcast. We take questions, whatever you want to do, you can do that. It's reversethieves at gmail.com. Of course, all this will be in the show notes in case you can't remember it or can't spell or something. And yeah, you can always leave comments about, you know, how this is the greatest podcast ever. and The only anime podcast you ever listen to. And, you know, you burn all the other ones afterwards. Okay, so what's our question this month? And this interrogation room question comes from Carl Lane from Ogiwe Maniacs, who is currently studying abroad, being a international anime scholar. <laughs> 
So he asked, Dear Reverse Thieves, I was interested in knowing where you feel your opinions about anime and manga diverge the most. Ooh, it's a good question. Because... I know Carl, um, not Carl, uh, Ed Chavez mentioned one time over dinner. He's like, you guys, I like your podcast, but every once in a while you guys should get into like Siska and Ebert style drag out brawls. I know we try to like avoid that. I, it's not like we have the same taste all the time, but I feel like what we choose to podcast about is like something that we're generally in an agreement. Because that's over. that's one of the reasons I made I suggested the ongoing investigations. One because I wanted in on some of that sweet, sweet, you know, what are you watching viewership. But also because, you know, sometimes I will watch a sheer series that Kate would rather, you know, drink Drano than watch. My old joke that really isn't a joke is that our tastes are rather similar. I just enjoy a lot more schlock than Kate does. <laughs> yeah, like if you're using some arbitrary means to measure like what our taste is like, you could check, you can compare our my anime lists. I don't know if anybody else has a my anime list, but you can see like how much your taste, you know, is similar to like another person's, and ours is like a very high. I think it's percentage. like eighty something percent. It's like the highest percent of like any of the my friends and stuff on there. Like is because you I... read like Ken Akamatsu stuff, and I would yeah. like rather like burn it than like I read. I read a lot of what I admit is kind of garbagey shown in romance. Uh, I mean, I read and enjoy, although I'm ashamed to admit it, I read and enjoy Zetai Karen Children, which is kind of horrible, but entertaining. I mean, my favorite, you know, writer there is Nasu, who I admit is, you know, Mr. Verbal Diarrhea. And like, hey, kids, let's sit back and discuss magical systems for 20 minutes. And I'm pretty sure that that's like Kate's, you know, time to stab things in her eye. And I definitely also have a much higher slice of life tolerance than you. Like, I enjoyed um, GA, the art school one, whereas you were like, ah, able to stay more awake than watching or reading Sunshine Sketch, but not actually awake. Well, you ha now that you're saying all this, it makes me sound so picky. Like, well, I just don't like anything. Well, that's not I, true. But I feel those are the biggest places that we... Like, certain stuff that I'm like, eh, it isn't good, but I enjoy it. You, you have slightly more refined tastes. I read my own share of junk it's just different junk so i guess that's where we diverge because like i read quite a bit of shoujo romance school stuff i am picky about that but i do enjoy like sparkly very kid uh shoujo romance stuff so you basically have to be a lot more selective in betsukami or like older shoujo i don't read actually a lot of it's more like i love ribbon magazine and for like eight-year-old girls and that's that's sort of my junk food, I would say. And also, I read a very minor amount of BL. I read... I'm pretty picky about that as well. I'm the picky... I'm like a, such a freak 
you think, well, I mean, no, I guess there's way more picky people on the internet that watch like five shows ever. So they're more picky than me, but I'm uh, really once again, picky. Once again, why would anybody watch Tiger and Bunny when they could watch original 80s? <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'm, you know, I'm not nearly as picky as other people, but I, I feel like I come off as pretty, I'm pretty selective about, even my junk, I feel like I'm really selective about. But yeah, you don't, you generally read BL, so, unless I'm like, ow, you should read this, like, this is really good. I will not not read BL, but I also don't go out of my way to read BL. So, maybe that's the big differences. I'm trying to think, is there a show that, like, you hold up as, like, you know, not just, like, junk where it's like, oh, I love, you know, but, like, something you think is actually really good and I think is really not good. Pat Labor? I mean... Okay, does that count? Oh, my God, the internet... No, you can't even say this. The internet hates me as enough as it is. (laughs) Like, okay, I will say that I do not like the Pat Labor movie. Is there two? Is there one? Yeah, okay. So there's three, but... The third one is isn't directed by Lord Samaoshi, so yeah. I guess maybe. I mean, I don't know. That's that's okay. Yes, I didn't like. I don't like. Generally, don't like any. But also, you know, I have some big issues with Oshi overall. So maybe, yeah. I guess that's where we don't. That oh, the worst example you could think of because like now everyone hates me. But you did say the TV series is different, mm-hmm. and so you know, like. That might change my mind. I have only seen the movies, or what I've stayed awake for the movies, because, um, yawn, goodbye, like, I can't even make it through. Um, one other thing I can think of, I really liked Higurashi and Umineko and Future Diary. They're a little more horror-y and bloody, and kind of for the sake of being bloody, which is odd, because I'm not really usually a big horror fan, like most horror anime like, people will praise up and down, like, Cat Eye Boy and, like, Drifting Classroom and stuff like that. And I'll be like, yeah. But I do have certain titles that I enjoy that generally are just not your cup of tea. And those are generally titles that I thought were good. There's probably different reasons that I don't like them. Because I like blood and, mm. like, that. I'm I, now I just said, like, oh, I love blood. That wasn't really how, that's not how I meant it to come out. But like, more like, like, I like violence but i don't know there's something different about horror that mm. it that it has, has a different tonality i don't like to be scared that's true like a vi- like crazy violence doesn't scare me but in horror it just it's i don't know yeah i don't like to be scared yeah like I will be, like, shocked or, like, this. you'll be, like, shocked or disgusted by Berserk. But it's supposed to be, like, this is, you know, for real. This so. is messed up, which is fine. But it doesn't scare me. But, yeah, it's not trying to, like, get... It's Maybe me- it should scare me that it doesn't scare me. Like, like... <laughs> It's trying to unsettle you, but it's not... It's trying to get under your skin in a different way. Yeah, so, I guess... I guess the divergence here is that Al will watch or read a lot more stuff than I will. So, we don't get in... Just because, like, you guys think you don't hear it, there's never, like, knock-down, drag-out fights where we end our friendship over, like, an anime that we can't agree on or something. And I think, once again, I don't think I'm ever like, No, Kate, Kate. Kate, you've got to see Fate Stay Night. And you're like, no, because I, you know, 
I don't want to punch you throughout the whole viewing experience. <laughs> or like, you don't want me to watch this out because you don't want me to have an opinion about this. <laughs> like, I'm not like, Kate, 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 you gotta read all 20-something plus books of Zetai Karen children. Nope, I'm good. I think I'm, I generally know her taste well enough to be like, yeah, you don't, you don't got... I'll just I'll I'll read this one and you can you know, you can you know remain over there and not finish it up. The only one I think you vaguely could maybe enjoy is maybe Higurashi, but I've never I've never really felt like pushing it because while the mystery is good, I just don't think the kind of gratuitousness of some of the violence I think is just. Better to know, oh, well, and that's a good mystery series that I won't read. Okay, I'll put that on the list of mysteries. So there you have it. Another question for another month. Please send us more questions and um, answer one or, you know, if they're short, maybe we'll answer a couple, whatever. Either way is fine. And stay tuned because this episode, kind of different than other episodes a little bit, is about Kakaishi. Uh, anime and manga, and it's kind of an introductory episode, and then the end of the episode is speculative and spoilers section. I don't know how to describe it. It's not really a review, because, you know, we save that for other things, but it's kind of a, a celebration. Because so many will. things are happening at the same time, like this month and the next month, and so let us strike while the iron is hot. It's an encouragement podcast about, you know, checking out this series. So we also have a guest for that, uh, Basil from AwesomeCast. So we are going to do a quick promo break, and we'll be back. Question. Do you like podcasts? Obviously the answer is yes. I mean, you're listening to a podcast promo probably in a podcast. The real question is, do you like things that are awesome? Chances are yes. Because what you should be doing is, after you listen to this podcast, check out the AwesomeCast, your podcast for everything awesome. Follow that osmcast.com for more infos. Bumper, 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 bumper. Welcome back, everybody. We are here today. We have a guest, uh, Basil from the Awesome Cast, and he's going to help us talk about Kakaishi. Hi, Basil. Hello, Internet and Reverse Thieves. I, I'm Basil. I'm from the Awesome Cast. In theory, the podcast for most everything awesome, if not everything awesome. Do you guys ever do an awesome cast? Um, we do awesome craps. <laughs> Where when, whenever a podcast horribly derails or the audio quality is just absolutely terrible, or we know that what we're about to do is a horrible idea, but we're doing it anyways, usually that goes under awesome crap. So, like, if some reason you had to do a podcast about Kodomo no G-Con, it would be awesome craps. Probably. Um, or, like, for example, we did one on the live-action Dragon Ball movie. Um, our first ever awesome crap was actually what we refer to as the uh, Wea Dicks, where we were trying to talk about um, Vesperia, and then realized we were a lot of dudes, therefore we cannot be Wea Boobies, therefore we had to be Wea Dicks. Aha! <laughs> okay, so, what do you guys, what's the next podcast you guys have coming out? Uh, that's a good question. Um, pretty much everything got derailed for us because of all the tornadoes that ran through Alabama. Oh my god, you guys are all okay? Uh, we're all fine. Um, uh, some of our houses need a little bit more work than others. Uh, but we lost power and it sort of killed our entire rhythm. And so our audio producer, his job sends him out for like two weeks at a time. And unfortunately it caught us right when we were about to, you know, master some stuff. So we had enough backlog to actually go through all that problem. 
through uh, through his workspace, but the tornado killed that ability because we were out of power for like over a week. And so we haven't actually released anything in a while. But for good reason. Well, yeah, like it wasn't like it's not because we're dead. It's because the power was dead. And so hopefully, well, um, we have a gargantuan uh, Metal Tendency anime convention review that we did. Where I talked to two other podcasts as well as some of the convention organizers, including the con chair. And then this weekend, at least as of recording, I am an anime director for a small local convention called Hamacon that we're putting on for the, it's the uh, first week of June in Huntsville, Alabama, where I'll hopefully get to talk to some of the guests for some future recordings. Then uh, the big hope is that um, one of the voice actors, Micah Solisod, I know last time I talked to him. He was really big into House of Five Leaves, so I think I'm going to record a review of House of Five Leaves with him. And by the time we get any of this stuff out, it'll be time to, you know, go to Otakon. We gotta hit, we gotta meet like, up! It, well, yeah, I, we're actually in the same hotel. Oh, right, because I told you to stay there. Right, and that's actually what convinced me to go, so this is all your fault. Excellent, good, that's my, that's my goal. Now we just gotta get you to move to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see about that one. But <laughs> I am going to Otakon with some of the other awesome crews, so it's going to be good times. Are you guys going to record a pod? We usually try to record a podcast at cons. Do you guys do that too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Something will get recorded some way, somehow. Well, thanks for coming on in, uh, to talk about Kakaishi. We love it. We know you love it too, so it's good to have an extra Actually, voice. I think I found the awesome cast just randomly looking up Kakaishi stuff, and I saw, oh, a Kakaishi podcast! How odd! Like, actually, um, Kakaishi is one of the reasons that the awesome cast was founded, was to talk about Kakaishi. Yeah, it, it didn't happen at first, because one of those things where we started recording, we discovered we were horrible at it, and so we decided we want, we, we tried, like, record about Kakaishi, like, three or four times, and for the past, those three, four weeks, we're just, it was just terrible and terrible and terrible, so we said, screw it, we'll, we'll record about other things, then when we get good enough to actually talk about Kakaishi, then we'll talk about Kakaishi. Wow, that's real. That's a lot of effort put into that Kakaishi podcast. Like It's true, and then I found out, you know, top of people like, oh man, the only people like Kakaishi are thirsties, and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> no. Some of us, other people who happen to record and talk about things like Kakaishi too, thank you very much, Daryl Surratt. <laughs> Well, you know, I think this is a perfect time to bring this up. Lately, I've been, like, a bunch of people lately were like, man, why is everybody always hyping up Kakaishi? And I'm like, who are these people? I want to meet them because I want to be friends with them. Because the only people that hype up Kakaishi are, like, us and, like, two other people on the internet. So what are you talking about? Where is all the hype for Kakaishi? I don't recall. I think it's in this room. It is on this conversation right yeah, here. Much. Yeah. Ooh. It's like... I almost feel it's like somebody was like, man, I know, I know Tomino was a great director, but why is everybody on the internet always talking about Daitan 3? Ah, I'd like to go one day without having to hear about Banjo's adventures. I don't know. So I felt like this is a very, I feel like this is a timely podcast because a lot of people have been bringing up Kakaishi for other reasons. You know, the the first box set is out technically this month because this podcast takes place in June. And so it just finished its first run, full season run on Cartoon Network at the end of May. I think the last episode aired. Uh, so it's like a perfect time to talk about it. And the manga just it. ended. And the manga just ended in April. So it's a perfect time to talk about it and 
get hype for it because no, there is not enough hype for it on the internet. Liars, it's tr- all of them. It's true. It's they, they, there needs to be more Kakash hype. So before, okay, before we get too crazy in our love, let's you know this is, should also be an introductory podcast. So. Um, you know, let's talk about, like, what is Kakaishi? Give, give me, somebody shout out some... It's everything Inuyasha should have been. Oh, oh, sting! Oh, oh, man, I was about to say, it is Boxmaster, but it is not a porn. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, actually, Kakaishi beats Barrier Master. And it is, there is this kind of ancient land called... Karasamori. Karasamori. And... It is like an ancient spiritual land, but not necessarily in a good way. It has an amazing amount of spiritual power, but if demons or spirits go to it, they can kind of absorb the power of the land and boost themselves up to like incredible, like basically go up in power levels. And so... What would have been a minorly like annoying demon or monster could suddenly become like this superpower death beast. So humans, oddly enough, have decided, whoa, 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 we've got to make sure that, you know, the already troublesome, you know, monsters of this world do not become, you know, the world ending, you know, death beasts. So we're going to have people guard this sacred land and keep demons and monsters and spirits away from here, you know, because of Kawasamori's amplifying and somewhat corrupting power. No, no problem. Okay, do you want to then explain, like, the who's, next part? Like, who, who's guarding, basically? Well, it's the, um... Tokene and... Yoshimori. Right, but they're, they're part of two clans, and that's the last names I'm trying to think of. Sumimura and Yukimura. Right, 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 because... They've been entrusted with to protect this land for generations upon generations upon generations. And that's, you know, that's their whole thing, is they're all Kakaishis. They were trained by the original master who sealed Karasmahamori, <laughs> you know, up in the first place. And it's their job to make sure everything stays safe. And uh, Tokine and Yoshimori are just the current people who are in charge of taking care of it from the two clans. They make a big deal that the two schools are very separate. And you mean the two clans? Yeah, the two clans kind of almost like two um, different schools. Like they were originally like like a oh, martial you mean like arts dojo schools. Yeah. Or like, yeah, yeah, that they both had like uh, at one point a common technique, and then they split. And I know how Tokene is different than Yoshimori, but is that supposed to be, like? Are they supposed to be? Everybody has their own style that kind of goes, or is it supposed to be? That each of the individual schools is very like, I we specified in power and we specified in technique, or or is it just supposed to be that they were different inheritors, different families that broke apart? I think it was different families that broke apart, but because they broke apart, it has now while it's the same basic technique, they've sort of veered off in two sort of general different paths. They're still pretty close to one another, but there's very specifics that are different. Right. I think, you know, it started as, you know, obviously, there was one guy who sealed Karasamori, and we learn a lot more about him, you know, later. So, and then the there's, like, a rivalry between the two clans. So, yeah, I think they, I think they're always trying to one-up each other. So, in a way, I think they 
try to do different things because they're always trying to beat one another. So that is a big part of it, though, is that Yoshimori and Tokine are technically rivals, but they're partners in protecting this land because it's too big, basically, for one person to protect it. I will will now use a a nerdy analogy. It's kind of like they both... In Street Fighter, how Ken and Ryu both use the same technique, but each Wear one of different them... different outfits? But each one of them, especially after Street Fighter 2, they have slightly different techniques and slightly different little things that set them apart. Yeah. They're, they're just more the same school and they have individual trumps. You know, what kind of separates them in general, like what we start to see emerging is that Yoshimori is like kind of a bold, very... He has a lot of power, but he doesn't have a lot of control. And Tokine is very quick and more kind of graceful. And so they... That's why, kind of, in this case, being partners is really important for them because not one person can take out all of the Ayakashi that appear, if especially if something big happens. So that's why, even though they're rivals, they're also partners protecting... This land, which happens to be underneath the school building. I mean, it's it's where their school is, too. Oh, but since I got into nerd, nerd, nerd levels of detail about the differences in the school. Basil, could you actually explain what their technique does? Well, they make boxes out of light or something. They, they create sort of these energy boxes, and anything that they collapse within them can be destroyed almost like immediately. And so usually what they do is they'll trap these monsters in these boxes, then break them down, they'll destroy them, they'll destroy the monster inside. Which you think is, okay, well that seems kind of weird, but then when they start playing around with it, or the boxes can be all sort of shapes. You know, at least as far as, you know, being lengthened, or turned into like netting, or a bunch of different other ways. You find out it's way more interesting than, you know, most power sets actually can be. Yeah, I actually love when Tokine, she even does it in the opening, in the opening sequence for the show, but, like, when she uses it to pierce things, like, she'll make a really thin one and it'll go, like, through a monster instead of trying to trap them. She can also use it in sort of a weapon area, like, like as a weapon. But it's also very defensive because you can hide yourself. The whole point is defensive, yeah. You can hide yourself in the barriers because you don't have to collapse a barrier in. And then you can be somewhat safe until the barrier collapses. You can just throw one up quick as a shield. Um, You can use them as stepping stones. Yeah, it's got a lot of variables, which makes it a little bit more fun and it's not as obvious what's going to what they're going to do with it all the time so that's nice yeah it makes the show way more interesting it's not just like you know luffy's gonna punch somebody or you know ichigo's gonna slash somebody you never know quite how they're going to make use their powers for it to really do its thing and i feel like they don't use some sort of traditional like leveling up system in general like everybody gets better but they kind of it's done in a sort of a different fashion than than I would say than you normally you learn, expect. They learn to apply it, their power. They have the same power, but they just learn to apply it in a different method. Like if it was like an RPG, you'd start with like, you know, like a defensive spell and then you'd 
you know, learn this spell and then that spell, but it's all in the same school. You never learn, you know, they never go from fire to ice. It's just, how do I use this fire differently? Well, and a lot of it also is, as you go further further to the series, it's more the understanding the very nature of their power to begin with. It's really a lot like learning a martial art because, you know, as they grow in their power and they grow in their knowledge of it, they can learn to use different ways. It's like learning different kinds of punches or different kinds of kicks. It's not just, you know, oh, well, I just need a bigger punch or I need a bigger kick or now I need a punch that's on fire. Well, speaking of how it starts to go, so let's get back to the plot a little bit. So we have this land, and yes, that's where kind of our central, the beginning is there, but I think the plot starts to take a bigger turn as it goes along, and I love that there's there's a few arcs in the series, but the idea of that Yoshimori becomes obsessed with finding out what the heck Karasumori is. Like, this idea that nobody really knows what the heck is going on in this in this sacred area and, like, why it's producing all of this energy. And that becomes, you know, one of his goals basically becomes, like, what is this? Why is this happening? I want to be able to stop this. And and uh, I don't want to go too much because we'll have a... After the break, we'll kind of have a spoiler section. But you kind of also get the feeling that... Because um, there's like an organization that has been built up around this this land. And it almost seems like maybe certain people are keeping this around because they've come to enjoy the kind of the power that protecting this land and kind of the little games that they play in protecting this power has brought about and that there might be people actively not letting them learn how all this works and they might have more sinister kind of intentions about everything. There are definitely different power groups at play. It's not just about Yoshimori and Tokine. There's the Urukai is pretty well established both early on in the manga as well as the anime. And there's like a politicalness to that, especially when we start learning more about Yoshimori's older brother who is, you know, working within the organization. I think you get a lot more conspiracy politics going on that you weren't really expecting to get out of that, especially later on in the manga after the first arc. Because it kind of slowly unfolds the complexity. Well, yeah, because it's uh, the character is uh, Masamori. He's actually my favorite character in the series. And that's whenever they want to do like much more intrigue and like especially darker tones. That's where they bring him, because he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Whereas, you know, Yoshimori has much more of the I'm going to try and save everybody more shonen approach. He's got the more, well, the ends will sometimes justify the means approach. Yeah, I think Masamori, he's not my favorite character, uh, you know, but but he is definitely one of the most interesting characters because I feel like of everyone in the series, I don't feel like until the end, and I haven't read the end of the manga yet, but you never know whose side he's on. He's on Team Masamori, as far as I'm concerned. Like, you never really know because he has these really dark moments but then he has these really, like, brotherly moments, and I think he always keeps you guessing. Yeah, he has a way of going, like, I'm going to help you, but with the smile it goes, I'm going to totally destroy you. And, never... and I feel like in 
the manga when he's like, I'm gonna help you, but then he'll have the most evil look when he turns to, like, turns away, and you're like, oh my god, what's he gonna do? <laughs> yeah, he's really good at that. He's really good at that. Let's talk about the anime, since the anime covers the first arc. So, there's another story at play going on here, is that there is this... Uh, kind of like a fellowship or an alliance of uh, Ayakashi, kind of like the bad the kind of the nasty demons of the nasty spirits of the world they all ally under this princess and the whole idea is all right if this land if we get there we can power up but there are all these guardians in place there's you know the kakaishi masters guarding it all the time and they're backed by this organization so if we keep going in there one by one we're just gonna get you know we're gonna maybe we'll get enough power to you know slightly power up, but then somebody from that organization is gonna take us out. What we need to do is everybody's got to get together, and everybody's basically got to charge in there in a concerted effort. We've got to be just as organized as the people who are guarding the thing, and then we can break through and take over this land. You know, wipe out this organization, and then. You know, since we're all working together, we'll all gain the benefits of this land and we'll all power up. But, of course, there is dissension in the ranks and there's, like, a few of the Ayakashi. Because I, 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 yeah, I want to actually say that Ayakashi are not, like, dumb demons necessarily. I mean, some are smarter than others, but you have a range and some of them are absolutely, like... Just, like, animals driven by instinct and some of them are, like, you know smarter than humans kind of you know ancient things and so you know as as we start to learn about them we are also learning that there's this whole kind of supernatural spiritual world that exists within our world and it's not just karasumori that's like the that's a sacred land that's really important but there's like plenty of spiritual lands throughout and take stopping this organization you know becomes sort of the the crux of the the first arc. Well, there's like an introductory arc where, you know, let's introduce all well, the yeah. players and, you know, but like the first meaty arc is this, you know, this organizational arc. Well, I would say even that this is overall, I mean, even with this arc, there's multiple smaller arcs, which makes it work well as a one, as a season one of an anime or even, you know, in this case, the entire anime, as that's all we got made of it. But it sort of gives you the overall general framework for the manga as a whole, all within this one arc. It gives you all the stuff you need to know to watch the rest of Kakaishi, because it's sort of after this arc, I kind of feel like the whole next arc is another big, gigantic arc, which sort of leads to the manga's end. And this manga, this or initial arc is sort of the um, all the building stones that you need to know and understand all these concepts at work all these characters at play to really get into the real meat of the rest of the series. I want to talk about those those characters more in depth. We mentioned Masamori, and he's, like, not even the main character, so we should definitely talk about Yoshi, because uh, Yoshimori is my favorite. And um, I think, you know, I, maybe people think, oh, well, they haven't talked about him because he's the typical shonen fighting protagonist, and, like, of course we know exactly what he's going to be like. And in a way, you're not completely wrong, uh, Yoshimori is, as we kind of mentioned, he has a lot of power, but he doesn't know how to totally control and harness it. He's young, he's 14, he's 
pretty stubborn and he's a little bit, you know, he's he wants to do everything kind of on his own, but he is definitely not capable of it yet. And but I think what I like about him is kind of his extra characteristics, like I think they give him a lot more personality than people give him credit for. Like he's a cake baking otaku, which is my favorite part. And he's always trying to perfect the cake and he's always testing out cakes on Tokine, his the you know, his partner, rival, neighbor, love interest girl. Um, so I love that about him and I love his personality because I think he is just a lot of fun and he's goofy, but he is really warm hearted and he definitely cares about the people around him and he has this ability to sort of bond with people very quickly, I think, and get pe- like people trust him and so I really like those aspects of his character. Well, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like he is just I mean there are very few shonen heroes that can be awesome at kicking butt than awesome at baking cakes. <laughs> and wanted to make a, That's giant, a very good point. Giant cake castle of awesome cakeitude. I mean, it's just it's just all right. That's that's cool. I mean, go for it. You never see Luffy baking a cake or even like Goku baking a cow. Can you can you imagine Kenshiro baking a cake? Yes, with a little apron. <laughs> he would go. On the ingredients, and then it would, then it would, it would make it, a cake. Yes, but then the cake would explode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But no, it's and he does have a really just easy manner of just going. I, I'm the hero, and you should like me, and you do. And he kind of has a, a a a default slacker attitude because he's kind of you know sleeping in class because he has to spend because basically the the Ayakashi can only come out at night. So they go to the school and they could kind of they also go to the school one because they're students, but two because they could get like it kind of is an early warning system. If stuff starts getting weird at the school, they usually have a, a decent sense that some you know Ayakashi is making trouble at the school so they can deal with it at night. So but since he has to stay up at night to actually fend off any kind of attacks on the land he is, like, super kind of sleepy and kind of, like, n- notorious slacker in the school. Well, yeah, because if you're working all night and then you have to you have to sleep at some point. Well, Tokine doesn't. She's a robot, I guess. Well, <laughs> Tokine is also much better at managing herself than uh, Yoshimori is. She's much That's more the true. calm, cool, collected, you know, more more intelligent person who's able to better manage themselves than than he is, where he's all sort of... All energy and go go go, and then oh wait, I'm out of energy. Might as well sleep now. That's true, and I I I love Tokine. I think you know I think she is so rare because she is a very strong female character who starts the series at as much better than Yoshimori at defending this land. She is better trained. She's two years older than him, but she is more disciplined. She's better trained. She cares a lot more about it. Um, you know, you, you at, certainly at the beginning, you kind of get the sense of, like, Yoshimori sees it as sort of a burdensome job that's like, oh, I don't care. My grandfather's always, like, harping on me about training and doing this, but I really kind of don't see the big deal about it. And then... Tokine takes her job really seriously and is constantly trying to get better. And so this comes to a head in their childhood, which you see. That's like the first episode is them 
much younger and how that really affects their relationship with their kids. And then we kind of jump ahead and now they're teenagers and how that's affecting their relationship and their partnership. But I love that Tokine is like better, way better at doing her job than Yoshimori at the beginning. And she continues to grow through the series. He doesn't just get better than her. And then it's all like, oh, well, just leave her in the dust. Like, she is constantly learning along with him. Yoshimura is obviously the main character, so, you know, the focus certainly stays on him more. But I like that Tokine is really relevant to the story. Well, uh, I remember the first time I actually met Ed Chavez, we were uh, at, like, a party uh, from the Ninja Consultants, and we randomly started talking about manga because you know if you have a conversation with Ed Chavez that's what's going to happen and we were talking about the different you know different manga magazines and he said one of the reasons he really liked Shonen Sunday was even though it was a Shonen magazine they had a very strong editorial edict that put in female characters and make them good strong female characters and I really feel that Kaishi shows that how many female characters are actually important in any, you know, Shonen Jump story? I it mean, they're all like love and to I'm, get kidnapped. I mean, even Nami in One Piece is still like, like low tier around. But Robin's the, really important. True, true, true. But she's also almost all a support. She almost she rarely has any on screen fights. And almost all the time, as we mentioned in the One Piece podcast and the One Piece panel, Robin does the, oh, by the way, don't ask how I got it, but I have this information. And, you know, and everybody just wisely doesn't, hey, Robin, who did you kill? I mean, uh, what did you do to get, uh, thank you for your information. <laughs> thank you for this bit of, like, random, obviously only got through spy work stuff you got. <laughs> Well, well, it's true, and like of some of the other Shonen Sunday stuff you see, they usually all feature strong female characters. I mean, I believe, I believe, um, was it Cross Game also Shonen Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I believe a lot of the Takahashi stuff was also Shonen Sunday. Yep, definitely. Uh, other than Meizan Akoku. Well, that was that was Seinen. That was, but all, all their, yeah, yeah, other, all yeah, other Shonen other stuff. Than her, yeah, all her Shonen stuff has always been in Shonen Sunday. And they all feature strong female characters. I mean, it, it's true that they, that's it's one of the things that you know it does set this apart from other uh, shonen series, where even though Tokine she accepts the fact that she doesn't have pow- as much power as Yoshimori does pretty early on, raw but, power that is like a raw power, but she decides to overcome it by thinking things more intelligently and applying her power in different ways to make her more selective and just as useful, just in different ways. And I love how later in the series she starts reading like all these scrolls and she really learns to use her power in really different manners than, than Yoshimori ever learns. I think what's interesting about Yoshimori's power is that as, as you kind of heard us describe it, it's very defensive in, in, at, at its base, but Yoshimori uses it very aggressively. And I think that makes it very interesting because I feel like a defensive power for most people seems really boring as a as a lead. But I think Yoshibori uses it in such a manner that it doesn't feel 
it doesn't have that feeling. It's always he's always kind of on the go for making it. very dynamic and very like you said very aggressive. It's always um, you know I'm going to beat you to death with my shield, kind of. Yeah, and I, you know, like I'm going to make three shields, or I'm going to I'm going to enclose like the entire you know the entire school because I have this much raw power that I can like kind of give it a big boom, so to speak. Um, so I, I, yeah, I like, I like how their powers work together because Yoshibori has this big boom ability and Tokine is like, well, I have this smart, I am intelligent and I know how to fit it all together to work together. And that's the most special part I think about the fights is that Yoshimori and Tokine have to work together and they have to come up with a plan and an idea about how to defeat whatever is ahead of them. It's not just like, I get a power-up and now I've defeated you. Yoshimori keeps getting... Generally, he gets the standard shonen. I get more power. I get new ways to attack. Whereas Tokine gets kind of more... Is more technique-based. Like, she'll learn... Like, once again, she's the first person, and I think she's only the only one who ever learns to use the spears to make them super thin. So, if it, like, there's one episode where enemy is too fast. So, Yoshimura keeps trying to get, like, the super fast Ayakashi, because once he gets it, he's... It's all over. But, if he can never form a barrier around it, he can't stop it. So, she basically, and once again... He's got the, he's got, you know, he packs a big punch, but he doesn't have the speed of Token A, so he just can't ever get this thing, and Token A develops the little spears, and so she spears it into the ground, and it's nowhere enough to kill it, but now that it can't move, boom, Yoshimori can take it, and there were a bunch of them. So basically, she spears them all, and then Yoshimori just, you know, swoops in for the final death blow. They have to work together to defeat things. And he, and that continues on through the whole series, like even to the point near, uh, nearing the end of the series, in order to do what they do, had to do, their power sets are now, while still the base is similar, they veered out in to- so totally different directions, but they're so necessary for to complement each other that without the both of them, nothing could ever get done. The series is incredibly smartly written, especially in the battles, because it's not just you know, yeah, you have to think about it every time. It's like each monster is their own little puzzle that you had to figure out how to beat. Um, so, okay, so some of the other characters that I really like are the grandparents. They are fantastic because they bring so much of the humor to the series. Because they used to be the old guardians before basically their, you know, stewardship got passed down. And they're, uh, so they were rivals, and now they live next door to each other, and they're constantly goading each other and bothering each other, and like, like they're just funny old people, and I, I absolutely love them. They just add a lot of just little spice every now and then. And, and they both, you know, they both have the classic, you know, our fight was never finished, so, you know, we're going to use our kids as proxies, and, you know. <laughs> so it really reminds me of um, a reference to Rama One Half, uh, the fight between, you know, Posey and, and Cologne. Like, it's that very much of, like, old people bickering but in such humorous fashions, like, ah, ha, ha, that's great. Oh, yes. I was going to mention the little hair clip girl. Oh. <laughs> what is her name? I don't know. She's, 
she's one of those characters that starts off somewhat important, but gets less and less you know important as time goes on. And yeah, I laugh every you know. I love there's um, I don't remember if they appear in the anime, but there's these intermittent crow episodes with like the crow like that crow god, and they're like crows come and steal Yoshimori, and there's like very humorous episodes. Um, including them, and yeah, so there's a lot of just little things that are very humorous throughout. Especially for the anime, it's really hard to not mention Gen, because Gen is a very important character, especially in the anime arc. That's right, because, you know, we don't see him as much later, but that first arc that we're dealing with, that that the anime only deals with, he is, you know, he is integral. And it really is integral into, even though he's not as much in the later half of the series... He's very integral in forming Yoshimori's, you know, sort of hardening his conviction to do what he's going to do. You're right. He really gives a lot of growth to his character. I also feel like he's the... Because Yoshimori has this job, I feel as though he doesn't really connect with people at school. Like, they're kind of, you know, it's like, oh, I know, like, a couple people. But he's constantly sleeping through class, and he is so busy that he doesn't really deal with people that often. But because Gen is someone his age that is also involved and that's also staying there and is at school, is part of the team at that point, like, I feel like it really opens up Yoshimori to friendship, to understanding, and it really gives him a lot of growth. And Gen is awesome and has a totally awesome power. And we and love he's totally him. not a furry. And, oh, but uh, the dogs. Apparently, the guy who founded the technique, he found these two spirit dogs, and he they started working for him. And they had these basic. They have these special collars that are on them, so they can't absorb the power of uh, the you know the sacred land. So they go there, and they can be there, but they won't be affected or corrupted by the energy there. And they kind of definitely act as kind of mentors and kind of helpers, especially in like the first. Oh man, Mataro! Like he is, he is the best dog. Because once you realize the reason why he's following um, Hazuma, the original creator, was because he found him found the creator adorable, which means he's the awesomest gay spirit dog ever. I have to mention that the dog episodes because. There's, like, this little mini, like, two or three part where you learn, like, who the dogs were, what happened to them, and there's, like, this huge, like, fight and, like, craziness ensues and, like, collars are being taken off and it's just, like, insanity. And those are some really, really solid episodes. In fact, when I learned about Kakaishi, I actually learned about it at Otakon in 07 from the, the director was there. And the producer. And they showed uh, a clip from Kakaishi, and it happened to be one of these parts of one of the dog episodes. And it was totally awesome. I really enjoyed it. It blew me away. And that was my introduction to Kakaishi. So I definitely remember the dogs very fondly for that. And, you know, I love dogs. I'll say, and actually, that's a very important set of, you know, story because that actually gets way more important later on in the series. Oh, and I was going to say, the other interesting thing that uh, really, not to get too much off the dogs, why I wanted to have Basil make his thing, is they really played up how what a great female character and how much they worked on, um, you know, making Tokune a good character 
and they were really trying remember they were really trying to pitch that that you know here's this great shonen you know guy but hey look at this girl she's also you know we also you know we really worked on making her a great character as well and a good partner remember that was a good sales point and we're like hey boy have we never heard of this series no that was a sad thing when we saw uh Kodama the director at Otakon, I had never heard of this show, and it was airing. It was currently airing. Nobody was talking about it. I mean, and despite the beginning of this podcast where we said that everybody's like, no, 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 why is everybody talking about this? Everybody's not talking about this, and they weren't talking about it in 2007. And, and, and like, Viz had been putting out the manga, and did you know about it? Uh, no. The manga's been... No, okay. The manga's been coming out since 05 in English, and it's like... Why have I never heard of this? Um, I actually first got into it when the anime first started airing. Now, at the time, I was the president of my local anime club, and we were doing new anime nights. And so what I would do is I would totally be a horrible legal pirater and download the first episode of everything. And so I watched the first episode of Kaiju. Holy crap. This is awesome. And then forced it on my club to watch it, and it was actually a staple for our club for, I think, for almost the entirety of the series. We started watching about the middle, I think, of the... I mean, we caught up, and then we started watching as the show was airing, but uh, we, we started, like, I think it was, like, halfway done by the time we started watching it. But what's funny is, when we went and we researched the series, I was like, wait a minute, I have seen this manga, this puts this out! And nobody, as far as I could tell, ever talked about Viz putting it out. I mean, I started picking it up after the anime finished airing, and that's, you know, when I started uh, reading the manga. But it's been out for a while, but they're putting out omnibus editions now. Uh, The first one is out uh, this month, and then the second one's like, you know, August, I think. Um, So it's, it's perfect time to start picking up the manga. It's the perfect time to start picking up the anime, because... They just released the first box set. You could go to Viz online and just... Oh, yeah, it's all online. You can watch it for free. Um, Did you guys watch any of it on Cartoon Network? I have not. I do not have cable. (laughs) Um, Well, I watched a little bit of it. I actually watched the premiere. I was at somebody's house, and it. uh, it I watched the first episode when it premiered last uh, May, I think it was. Yeah. And so... It is, there is a dub, which, you know, maybe makes that more appealing to people, but I think it's resetting itself on Cartoon Network, so you can also catch it on there, because, you know, as I said, it just finished its, you know, getting through the whole, uh, the whole series one time around. It's, the box set is the first 13 episodes. I pre-ordered it, of course. Hopefully it comes to me soon. I've been waiting, you know, I don't know, two years to get Kakaishi on DVD. Has it, it's still on, is it still on Hulu? It is, yeah. And it's so you can watch it for free. Go watch it for free right now. Yeah, to stop the podcast, go watch all of it, then come back. Then you can listen to the other part of the podcast where we talk about more spoilerific stuff. It really um, does remind me a lot of when I was I was jo- I was sort of joking around. What I said this is what I thought Inuyasha should have been, but no, really, I wasn't. <laughs> I really do. Maybe because this is a Shonen uh, Sunday series, but I felt it feels very much like a re- a true spiritual successor to Ron the One Half, in that you've got that same sort of or a sort of Takashi type series where you've got your male lead and your female lead, and they're sort of conflicting with each other, but they sort of secretly like each other. 
but you've got that whole action adventure thing on top of it. And it even sort of has that sort of monster of the week thing with, you know, yokai and whatnot because of all the Ayakashi. But it's just a such a better written series than Inuyasha. Well, I think for me, that is also due to the part uh, that you mentioned right there at the beginning is like the love interest idea. That is so much better written in Kakaishi because the romance is there. It's really low-key. It's really underlying everything that's going on. But it's never, like, overpowering you with its presence. It's never like, I did it for love and I win. Or, like, you know, Tokini's not constantly being kidnapped or anything in order to spurn uh, Yoshimori on or anything like that. And I think that they're... There's a slow build to their romance, and I think it's really nice. But it's constant. It's never, whoa, um, could we get off these romantic subplots and get to, you know, actual Ayakashi busting? Yes, sorry, the Ayakashi never takes a back seat. That's always the most important part of the series. Everything else is supplementary, but it's just really well done and how in its underpinnings. Right, but I guess I just like the idea that you know, at, without being like a crazy shipper or something in your brain, that it's always there. Like, it's always a subtle piece to every story, but they, like, like it's never forgotten for like an arc, and it's like, oh, well, we need some right here, and we'll put it in and throw it in for this plot convenience. It's never, it's never like that, and that's what's so refreshing about that. Yeah, whatever does come up, it's very organic. It, it makes sense within context of the story when it shows up, when it does. Uh, just the, the biggest difference I noticed in the manga and the anime was that Tokene, in the kind of the last arc, Tokene wasn't that much in the manga. Like, she kind of appears, she's very, when they finally make an assault on the organization, she kind of appears in the beginning and the end, and the anime had her like kind of come along and be a little more important. Oh yeah. She's she was much more active. She's significantly important to that final battle where she isn't in the manga. Because uh, I feel in the manga, they much more wanted to spotlight Sen and cause Sen had just been introduced. Well, also I think it's very also kind of important that, uh, in the next couple of story, you know, story arc after that, it really focused on new abilities that Tokine got that Yoshimori didn't get. And so it sort of balanced it out where in that particular end of that story arc, because it was more bombastic because it was a big finale, Yoshimori was more important. But then the next set of, you know, little arcs afterwards, Tokine was more important. So in the manga, it sort of balances it, it, itself out. In the anime, they couldn't do that. In my, I mean, and I thought that they integrated it well. It didn't seem really obtrusive or anything. So I thought it was a good solution because they were like, well, we're not going to have any more and we'd really like to use her, you know, in the finale. So, like, how can we do that? And I thought they did a good job of it. Oh, we will mention that the the animation, especially in the first half, is really good up until the... That's a stop, good point, yeah. Until it gets stopped being backed by McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can tell that it goes from, like, super, like, well funded to just regular shonen anime once the McDonald's. Talking to some friends and some of my other friends who you know, all like the show, because uh, I forced them to, is that um, they, would sh- uh, they would show it to their friends online or in person or whatever, and they- we noticed that if people tend to be like Ranma fans or um, or say Atsura fans, 
they tend to really like Akaishi. If they were Inuyasha fans, they really didn't like Akaishi. And I have no clue why. Only that that keeps, seems to be a reoccurring theme. So maybe the people who are watching TV Japan were just idiots. I don't know, because I feel like... I'm not really sure. I, I almost feel like when people are um, encountering Kakaishi, their expectations, are, I feel, are a little weird, and then their reaction is a little odd to me, because especially right now, I think you hear people complain about shonen fighting all of the time. They're always complaining about, you know, oh, there's this filler, or oh, there's all these side characters, or not focusing on the main plot, or this, or that. And I feel like Kakaishi doesn't have any of these problems. It, like, is a fairly streamlined series, both in anime and manga form. It has a lot of, you know, dar- it goes it goes into a darker place. It um, continues its story. Everything kind of comes to a head. It really, like, grows as the series grows, and it does all these things well, and everybody's like, oh, it's mediocre. Yeah, because I feel like it gets a lot darker, and we'll discuss that more in the spoiler section. But, uh, and I feel like, I, I, I mean, I don't know what Basil thinks, and I'm kind of curious to see, but I swear people do not like main characters with defensive powers mm. because i know that i mean once again i've already discussed this on the blog people hate kami joe from from index and i think that they would they put up with characters like him in other series but since he has a defensive power i think almost instinctually people do not like that and will pick apart everything else in a character I think that people like the idea of really, really aggressive main characters for showing action shows because they're in it to watch the action. And maybe because it's a more defensive power, even though he uses it in many aggressive ways, it's just not good enough. But then I think about it, and I'm thinking, like, what's what of the recent shonen action series have I really just enjoyed, especially manga for from beginning to end? And the last one I can think was Full Metal Alchemist. And I think that Ed's stuff is very similar, you know, their alchemy is very similar, that a lot of it can be used for defensive or offensive, just how they choose it. So I don't know why. No, I don't know why. But I feel like even Ed's is mostly aggressive. But then why is the manga popular? Well, okay, now I have a theory. Oh, oh, good. Okay, um, well, the whole thing about creating boxes. Well, he creates boxes. Would you just say that? Yeah. That doesn't sound cool. <laughs> that sounds so boring. With like, like, and you know, us, oh, Ed turns his arm into a sword. Oh, man. You know, you know, a lot of times when he's building stuff, he's like just creating barriers and whatnot out of the earth when he's actually fighting. And then occasionally will swing at his arm sword a little bit. Yoshimori, you know, his way of talking things is to trap them into a box, then blow up the box. I think just that, that very... When when you do manga, you're already setting yourself up for a more literary experience than when you're watching just, you know, stuff in animation. And so I think people's preconceptions are already so I can think of something more a little more cerebrally than I would be when I'm just watching a TV show. Plus I feel that Sunday of the two big shonen magazines is definitely kinda I mean, it has um it has Conan 
it has you know your kind of softer baseball series. I feel that in something like Sunday, people kind of sit down and they read Sunday for kind of like a contrast to. It's a really like well executed series, but it just doesn't get any like it doesn't get enough love for what it's doing. Well, I mean, how many times have we complained off the air that if when you give people in the anime community what they want, they're like, no, 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 that's what I said I want, but I really wanted this more specific thing, but I didn't want to say that because that makes me look like a picky jerk. How can I read Kakaishi and then not... Co- I don't. I won't be able to complain about it on the internet that week. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, why did I read that? Like, but you many- can. It's on the internet. You can complain about anything. Oh, all right. I mean, not to get too off topic, how many people complain that you have to make more family-friendly TV shows because making everything... Um, you know, super otaku is, you know, not the way to go. And you should, you know, you should go for the, like, teaching kids that, you know, cartoons are cool. And then Sket Dance comes out, which is the most, you know, hey, this is for kids and families and stuff. And everybody's like, lame <laughs> They just gave you what you wanted and then you spit on it. No, no, no. I wanted very specific family-friendly stuff and it's not that. I, I don't know. I just don't want fetishy moe claptrap. And I feel Kakaishi, you know, is totally not that. And it's totally what I want. So I like it. So I partake in it. Because yeah, there's never like, oh, man, Tokenet goes to the beach in our, you know, string bikini and all the other girls from school are all hanging out. Or there's, a, I think there's like a, co- there's a couple of bath scenes, but... Other than that. This Betsy's a Doramon, I think. <laughs> I think they throw you out of the manga community if you don't. Oh, fine. Uh, I want to mention about the TV series because, I mean, that is how I got into it originally. And it has the best opening song, and I love it. And we're going to play it for the break so you guys will all get to hear it and hear how awesome it is. But I just have to say that I love, 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 love the opening song. And I like most of the endings, too. Good ending songs. Well, I think the opening is a really good example of the anime and manga itself. It's not quite what you'd expect out of a shonen show, but my god, is it not catchy and something you want to listen to all the time. Uh, our food for thought is, who is your favorite shonen fighting lead character?
everybody. I hope you enjoyed that song. Actually, I know you enjoyed that song. I know, in fact, that you went and just downloaded that song after you heard it. But, you know, I just thought I'd say congratulations for listening. Like, <laughs> A winner is you. Yeah. Um, so this second half of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, going a little bit more in-depth and do some more spoilerific stuff, but I have warned Basil that I have not read the end of the manga, and he is not allowed to spoil it. Otherwise, fur will fly. So, Basil, don't tell Kate that, uh, what do you call it, the seeker of Kashimori is that it's aliens. Actually, Spike dies. <laughs> oh, God. Spike might die, but you know who else dies? Gen dies. And that's, like... I think that was the point that was about the half... No, 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 sorry. It's more than halfway. It's like episode... Actually, I've written down. 36 to 37, double double header episode where Gen dies. And I think that's when I knew this anime was, like, even... Like, it was better than average. Because, yeah, he's no minor nobody. I mean, they can't kill Tokene. So I thought it was, a, you know, it was a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. I mean, it's one of those things where Ken, at that point, even especially in the anime and the manga, he was now a title character. They had raised, you know, the main characters from two to three. He was as important to that trio as either Yoshimori or Tokune. Yeah, he made a big difference on the team. We learned about his past. We learned about, you know, we started to grow. He started to grow in our eyes because I think when you first meet him, you're like... He seems a little typical, as a lot of things in the story seem typical and then grow better than be, and become something else. But, like, again, you know, he's, like, he's cold and he's really, like, mean and you're, like, oh, he's just a jerk, you know, whatever. And thank God he is not a rival love interest because I was, like, I will fit, I'll be finished with you, series, if this occurs. And thank God that doesn't happen. But who he becomes, as like I mentioned in the the non-spoiler part, you know, who he becomes to Yoshimori is so significant that his death changes everything for him. Because I feel like, I think Basil kind of touched on this, but didn't want to go too deep into it. When when we start Yoshimori, as you said, the first episode, Yoshimori views it as like a big burden. Tokene gets hurt in that first episode, and he basically, up until that point, his whole thing is to protect token a and to do his job well but then when gen dies that's really what i feel makes him be like no this shite's gotta stop i gotta basically destroy this sacred land so because if we keep doing this either one of us is gonna i mean token a's dad already died my mom's off doing who knows what and so we basically have to, I got to get to the root of this and find out why this is going on and stop it. And I really feel because, yeah, one of us and is going to die. And if it's token A, I know, can't live with, I won't we'll, be able to live with myself. So I've got to just, you know, this has been going on way too long. And, you know, then he starts learning about how essentially there are people who are necessarily propagating this because their whole little schemes of inheritance ship and power plays all rely on you guys just do your job and keep this place safe, but keep it around because we have decided that we are based around this now. But also with Karasumori, 
the thing about it is, is that as the course of the manga goes on, I nobody really knows. I don't feel like anybody in the cast actually knows everything about it. And it's getting more powerful. It's getting more out of control as the series goes on. And that becomes, like, one of the, also the instigators of, like, I gotta get, like, I have to seal this. I have to destroy it. Because it's, like, getting out of hand. And I don't feel like anybody, I mean, my impression is that nobody knows the 100%, like, truth and full story of it. But I feel like the main problem is none of them care to. Because if they figure it out, then... Basically, everything that this organization has been built around and kind of is being powered by is it's almost like the Urukai. It's almost like they're that organization that had won and now controlled Kawasamori. Thereby, it's like you find out they're almost as bad as the organization that they were fighting against. In a, like, because how many like horribly nasty people are in the Urukai who are just basically using the place for their own ends and their own little evil little schemes? Or well, most of the council is like co- completely corrupt. Pillow Man, I don't ever remember that guy's name. As far as a secret uh, across Mori, uh, I can tell you, you do find out the whole shebang, why it's there, how it got made. What's so screwed up? Why it's more powerful? And in fact, the crux of why he must seal it is in fact the important thing. Which is kind of an interesting idea that, you know, it's not that I want to be the very best. I want to, you know, Yoshi's more a big thing. So I want to do this one very specific task. But that task is so monumental that it becomes one of the big cruxes of the entire show or series. Oh, and that actually is a really good point, because once he does this thing, his job is essentially over. Like, his power is no longer needed, like, when he does, like, if he does this thing. So, that's actually an interesting point, too. I didn't think about that. And the whole corruption within the um, Urukai also becomes another major, super major point uh, near in the end game of the series. Like, you become... Like, uh, it, it is one of those things where the first, you know, that first block really does just set up all the building blocks that they start knocking over as the series starts building and building and building. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, Karasamori, like the secret of Karasamori, does anybody on, and don't tell me who, does anybody on campus, like, actually know the entire secret? Not on campus, no. Okay. Aha! Like, I was like, maybe it's the librarian, like, that, cr- like with the creepy yeah. eyeballs, like, that lady. But, okay, that makes sense. I know she's important, too. Like, you find out the person who reveals it to you is someone who, someone who come, he really comes out of left field. Interesting. Ooh. I guess this is only, like, partial spoiler side, because I'm like, I don't want to be spoiled on the other parts, so Well, even then, I haven't actually read to the end. I'm only... You know, ten chapters away from the end. Oh, okay. So I, I even can't tell you how it actually concludes. I I have flipped through the last chapter. I, I will say it has a slightly bittersweet, but generally like satisfying ending. But yeah, there is a reason why Katsumori is getting more powerful, and oh man, just and the stuff that that you 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 read about you know with the little tiny land god that becomes you know also very important later on. Like that's all. That's almost um, as Gin as Yoshi Mori's moment, 
that what happens to that little land god is Tokine's uh, moment. Yeah, because I want to bring that up because you know I you had mentioned in the other half about how Tokine is really important in this next like little arc of stuff going on. I lo- first of all, of course, I love this like last arc that they're in because it's this like pretty much a murder mystery because these gods of these sacred lands that aren't Karasubori are getting are being killed. They're basically being murdered and. They, you know, the organization thinks that it's Yoshimori's mom. Eventually, they think that she's doing it. But one of these gods comes to Karasimori to sort of regenerate himself, and it doesn't get communicated properly to Tokine and Yoshimori. So Tokine kills this god, and it is so rippling for the series. It's unexpected, it's amazing, it's completely changes the entire game and it's like one of the best like parts of the whole thing and I can't wait to see how that plays out because it's like she's on trial she's arrested like they think that she is like this serial murderer now and like it's just it's got a lot of mystery elements to it I'm like yes exactly you have just added the one thing that I love even more than you Kakaishi like (laughs) Oh man, how that plays out, and once you discover who really is behind all these things, and you're like, "Wait, what?" It's it's a total turnaround moment. Oh, okay. So let's talk about spoilers. We can talk about. So let's go back to the anime because we've all we can. Uh, kind I was going to talk about defeat all that. The cr- I think the first part you really realize how creepy this series can get is with the with the grandfather's friend. Oh. Because I feel like the early part, you know, you have the stuff with, like, the cake-baking ghost. And, you know, like, the little adventures where everybody's like, hey, you know, everybody's, you know, nothing really super seriously dark. I mean, there's some monsters. And Tokine's dad died. You know, the little barrette girl gets in trouble and they save her or... Oh, wackiness at the school. or But you kind of get the feeling that the grandfather is kind of doing what Yoshimori eventually does. And he's trying to figure out what's going on and kind of researching the land. And he goes to this guy who's like this occult expert. And he has a friendship with him. And he seems like a weird dude. Like an eccentric guy. <laughs> and he comes up slightly creepy, but in that like... Ha ha ha, I'm a funny occult guy. But will you actually learn his, like, backstory and what his deal is? You were like, when did this turn into, like, a a horror manga? Oh, like, the whole thing with, like, because, yeah, because, um, you know, really near the end, we learned that he kind of has this, I'm, what I, revenge, I guess, plot against one of the guys who is part of the princess's, like, retuine, I guess I want to call it, and who are trying to take over Karasimori. Well, we find out that this dude and, like, this professor knew each other back in the day, and, like, the creepy professor guy was, like, coveting that guy's wife, and then, like, you know, the bad, the not the bad guy, because they both come off, in my opinion, I felt like they were trying to be, like, isn't this guy so bad? And I was like, no, the professor is a creepo! Like, what are you kidding me? Because the wife, I want to call him, like, the the insect man. Because <laughs> he has this crazy eyeball and, like, this insects 
that he uses to spy on people and stuff, but he kills her, and then, but then it's like, oh my god, he killed her, he's so bad, but the creepy professor dude, like, resurrects her with, like, a demon, and is like, you will, like, follow me around and be, like, my creepy demon woman. Well, basically, he makes the deal that, what do you call it, if you resurrect this girl, and they don't say it outright because it's a kid's you know, it's still a shonen Sunday manga. But if you're basically my super obedient sex slave, and what do you call it? Cater on me went hand and foot and do whatever I want, and you know what that means. You get my soul when I die, but until then, I will violate this corpse you are animating, like, to the extreme. And you will basically be my guardian, you know, servant and lover. <laughs> And I forgot all about that particular story arc. Yeah, that was kind of weird. It was, and it's like a couple episodes near the end. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and so creeped out. They try to like still kind of make it kid friendly, but they don't really hide a lot of the subtext. No, they they sort of stated how it is, and then you can infer whatever you want out of it. And then that's really when you start seeing a lot of, like, the super creepiness of the Urukai. I think they, like, tested the waters to see how much they could get away with that and not, you know, turn people off. So that later on, when, like, the pillow guy and all his, you know, freaky deaky Oh, deal, my God. The pillow guy is the creepiest character. I mean, if another character shows up that's creeper than him, I don't know if I could like read the manga. Like, like how he you how you find out he's like, because I call him Pillow Man, and if you don't know who he is, if you just like see the character, you understand why I call him Pillow Man. But he's like this giant guy. He kind of looks like a grain sack almost, or whatever. <laughs> but part, you know, he's part of this huge family, and then you find out that, like, inside the pillow is really, like, multiple people that have been, like, mutated into, like, this one dude. It's... And his whole clan is creepy. Oh, man, that fight with him and Masamori is so awesome. (gasps) Yeah. That's, like, one of the best fights in the whole series. And maybe that... You know what? Maybe that's what people don't like, is that, like, in a lot of ways, the fights aren't the most important part. It's true. You know who else is creepy? Although, once again, when you're up against Pillow Guy and that that creepy scholar guy, it's hard. But the older brother's mentor, that like the guy who looks like the 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 magician, Uh, Mudo. Yeah. Yeah, his whole thing is creepy. Everybody's creepy. There are very few well-adjusted people in the Urukai, and most of these people aren't even human. I think that's part of it. Is they do a really good job of. Of really showing just how inhuman they are, of how creepy they are. Because they kind of take the guise of humans, you know, just your own brain attributes them as, like, being human. But really, all these people are still Ayakashi or part Ayakashi, or they've traded their souls to Ayakashi. They've done all these things to get power, essentially. Power is such a big theme of the the series and the organization. And plus... I was going to say, the whole deal of also, like, covening of power. Because isn't, like, the whole magician guy thing that he wanted more power? And most of the Urukai are made up of people who were not the six, like, the main successors. 
They're kind of like, if you can't be like the cool head of the family, we'll ship your bum off to the Urukai. So a lot of the Urukai are people with chips on their shoulder and are kind of in the organization to kind of use Kasamori to gain more power and kind of like get back at the family that didn't, you know, make me number one. Well, that's one of the central themes of, I think, the series, especially you see in the the dynamics between uh, Yoshimori and uh, Masamori. As that one, you know, one's the successor, one's not. One has power, one doesn't. And how do you deal with that? And the fact that this is my family member, he's so much stronger than me. Or this is my family member, he's so much different than me in how he uses his powers. And how do you live with yourself with that and on how you're supposed to be doing these things? Yeah, I think that's where the such, so much of the grayness of Masamori comes in. Because you get these flashbacks and these moments of him being like, you don't deserve to be the head of our family. Why am I, like, I have done everything right. I am powerful. I have trained, you know, like, I am intelligent. I know how to do this. But yet I am not the successor to the family. And, like, that creates a lot of tension. And especially because, as we said at the beginning, Yoshi doesn't really necessarily want it. But he has it, and I think at, at a lot of times he's like, why do I have it? Why doesn't, why isn't it Masamori? Like, he wants it. I don't necessarily want it. And I think that comes up a lot, too. Yeah, because in the beginning he's like, man, I just wish that it would pass on, and then I could just hang out with Token A, and, you know, everything will be good. But then when she gets hurt, he realizes that, you know, nah, you know, kids glove her off. I gotta be this in it to win it. I am the guy who has to do this, so if I'm second place, it doesn't matter. I want to do some speculating, just a little bit, and it's kind of related to succession. The idea that, like, my idea, especially from the beginning, and when you learn about the grandmother and the grandfather, and that they were actually friends when they were younger, kind of in a similar Tokine Yoshimori, like, partnership, I always speculate that that there was a relationship there or, like, an interest there and because of their families, that did not occur. And so I always like to speculate about that. But I also always think the way to end the succession problem is if the two successors of the families get married. If they, you know, if they combine their families, then it's, like... It would be one school again. Exactly. And then they'd have the best of both. And I always like to speculate, you know, that that almost happened with the grandmother and grandfather, but something occurred. And I don't know if we'll ever know what that is or if that is even, like, real and I've just made it up like a crazy person. But I I definitely feel like, you know, you get the sense that they don't hate each other um, and they do care about each other. And so I think it's an interesting aspect of the series that is maybe not explored, and it doesn't necessarily have to be explored, but I like speculating about it. Yeah, I think... I don't know if you ever hear about that. I don't know if that ever comes of a thing. But I think it'd be interesting, especially considering what you discover the roles that the families actually were there were supposed to be there for. And I think I feel like once the series ends, the reason why there's that rivalry will no longer exist. See, that's what I was... Th- I mean, that's what I was hoping for. Oh, that also reminds me. I wish I would have mentioned it earlier. 
because we were talking about strong female characters, but the grandmother is ridiculously powerful. Like, she's so powerful. I think she's, I think she's more powerful than the grandfather, and so I think that's also interesting now that I mentioned her, because I like her a lot. I, I think that's supposed to be part of the uh, juxtaposition between the grandparents and the grandkids, was that, uh, well, it's like their roles are reversed. Like, I think originally when they were younger, I bet she was the really powerful one, and he had to be the more intelligent one, technique-focused person. But now it's sort of have it's reversed, you know, with the current kids. I like when we learn, because we do, you know, get a little flashback here and there of them, and I really love seeing the grandparents when they're young and interacting. Yeah, because you always get the feeling the grandfather's trying to teach a more delicate technique, and Yoshimori is like, I'm a power guy! I'm gonna lift this rock! Like, <laughs> Although, admittedly, Yoshimori does get more delicate as time goes on. Like, he does improve his actual skills at things. I, I don't know how much this plays out, but I was always... I was always interested if they ever reveal, or if it's nothing, my idea that when they destroy the spirits and they go into the, into the, you know, their, their little, their staff things, because that's the thing, when they destroy a spirit in the, in the, in the barrier, they have to then absorb it in by the staffs, which we didn't mention in the main part. But I always wondered is if that's what's powering Kasamori, that all the the spirits that they've been, you know, been collecting over the years, it's kinda like a Venus flytrap thing, that they come to get the sweet honey, but then they get destroyed by the Kakaishis and they fuel the uh the system underneath. No. Ah <laughs> that, I thought it would, that would have been great. No, <laughs> That, uh, that totally is not... That does not happen. You, you, you discover at the end that... Uh, uh, um, whatever that thing's name is. <laughs> um, it's actually so much simpler and, and so much more disturbing than you think it is. I like that. Well, what did you guys... But what did you guys think of the anime ending? Because we're kind of... Now we're like half-spoiler, kind of speculative, like... We're, 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 like, all over the place. Uh, I thought it ended in a good place. It ended at a big arc. Uh, you know, if they had wanted to make... If, you know, for some reason, they ever got enough interest to make a second season, they could. But I thought it was a decent... Well, this is an ongoing manga, but we gotta end here. Ending. Yeah, there's there's two ways I think you can end manga adaptations that aren't complete. You can either A, make up your own ending, which is usually terrible, or you can decide, okay, well, we've got this story arc, this is the big story arc, let's end on this story arc, and just sort of give a vague thing where more stuff could possibly happen, and just leave it at that. And I much prefer that technique that they used for Kakaishi. But I like that they end, as I'll said, at the end of an arc. It's not like... I don't know, in the middle of a storyline or something. It's a I'm looking at note. you, Flavor Rekka. Yeah, it's not... At least you get a little bit of a satisfying, like, okay, well, they've wrapped this up. But I love the fight at the end, and I love when he learns the Zekai technique because it's so... I don't... It's, it's just a cool manifestation. I mean, it looks really cool, but, like, the way that it works, it works almost, like, on a totally different level than a barrier, and so it, it adds another level. But it's, once again, still totally defensive. So well, I think it's... 
what's itchy about the Zakai is once you realize that really this barrier power is the ability to cr- to sort of interface with other dimensions or other worlds. Because really what you're doing when you're trapping someone into that little box is you're trapping them in their own little mini world. And you're pretty much destruction, destroying that world, which will you know, in turn destroy whatever's in there. And sort of what and the Takai is sort of an extension of that, where you sort of created a whole new world just around you. And that's why, you know, later on Token is able to you know phase through things, is able she's able to interface with alternate worlds and is now be able to move through them. I think the main thing, the the big selling point is that it is shonen fighting that is shonen fighting. It's definitely a shonen fighting anime. If you go in expecting, because I feel like a lot of people are disappointed when they're like, but this is a shonen fighting anime. And like, it's like, yes, it is, but it's a, like a very different feeling shonen fighting anime. But if you go in thinking that it's shonen fighting anime, but not, you're going to be disappointed. You have to want a shonen fighting anime, but a shonen fighting anime that has a, like a very different flavor. And it addresses the complaints that people have about it. So I think a lot of times, if you have a problem with Kakaishi, you just have a problem with shonen fighting, not with like the tropes of shonen fighting. Like it, it does a really good job of turning like your what you normally expect out of a shonen series and it sort of turns on its head. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't break the mold such as it it sort of pushes the mold out a little bit. It finds new wrinkles to to involve itself with. I just want to reiterate the idea that it is shonen fighting, but it does everything correctly it does it exactly as it should be done it feels familiar but it's really done so spot on that it makes you appreciate it and i i think that's really important to remember because it's not going to change your life it is not going to be like the most like philosophical story you've ever read it's not going to do any of those things but it is shown in fighting exactly what shown in fighting should be if if shonen fighting isn't, like, totally about fights. Because, yeah, how many people complain, oh, in this new episode of J Random Shonen Fighting Show, the character wins because he's like, I found a new power within myself that makes me ten times stronger. And uh, what do you call it now? I'm Instead of super mega blast, I get hyper mega blast. And boom! Hyper Mega Blast is ten times more powerful, and you were only eight times more powerful, so now you die. It, it's like most Shonen series are like chocolate cake. This is like a chocolate mousse with some fudge, like, you know, in the middle. I don't know if um, Yoshimori would appreciate that, because he would probably want to be chocolate cake. He puts chocolate mousse on the chocolate cake. Or in between chocolate yeah. cakes. Um... So I, I do want to, my last thing that I wanted to mention, which is something that I did that I would, you know, maybe recommend other people do, watch the anime, um, you know, you get through that last arc, and then you can pick up the manga, it's, it follows it very closely, so um, I do recommend, you know, rereading the manga up until that point, but you can totally pick up where you left off at book 13 is when the anime ends, and so you can, like, pick it up right there and 
continue reading the manga. Uh, that's what I did originally. But there is some little tidbits and stuff that you learn in the manga in the earlier books that is not mentioned in the anime. So it's it's worth going back. But I think that's a great way to start if you if you um, want to check out Kakaishi. And God, I hope we were able to like get at least like I'm gonna say five people. That's a, that's like a very ambitious number of people to like check out Kakaishi. I concur. You should watch Kakaishi. Thanks for being on, Basil, and coming to talk about Kakaishi. Thanks. Do you have anything else you want to plug? Um, you know, plug Hamacon so um, people can come. It, by the time this comes out. Oh, right. It'll be, be over. over. It would have happened. It already been awesome. You totally missed it. <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> but anything else you want to plug and, you know. I'll just check out Awesome Cast. Um, we got a lot of good episodes. Even if we haven't got anything out recently, hopefully we will by this point. Uh, we have a whole index of awesome of all older stuff, including like the most gargantuan po- you know, cross game podcast ever. Ooh, yeah. Oh, wait, we're so on that. Point that out. <laughs> yes, yes, you are on that. And you have your own Kakaishi podcast. That's how I found it. It's you true. So just check out whatever subject seems to interest you. There's probably something in there. And you got to have us on again. So. Will do. Okay, thanks. Okay, so that was a good episode. Uh, hopefully all of you are out there purchasing some kind of Kakaishi or at least checking it out online. It's free. What do you, you know, half an hour of your life, you know, you could have spent watching, you know, Asharate's toy and cursing a cruel god for letting you be born into this world. <laughs> So just at the end here, we want to tell you about some stuff that's going on on the blog and uh, also on Anime 3000. Uh, By the time this comes out, we have returned from Anime Next. So we're going to have tons of Anime Next coverage. We're we're there as press, and we did uh, four panels for them, so... Uh, We'll also have finished up Spiral Labyrinth of Legend of Galactic Heroes, so we will have Legend of Galactic Heroes guided one and two reviews on the blog... So really all that's left is uh, the little movies. Yep. Um, we're until, covering all of L-O-T-G-H. Until someone licenses the novels and then we can read them. And... Or if somebody licenses the anime and releases it, we will totally review the release. Because it would be worth it. So until those two days that, you know, they're not if they're when they happen, we will um, talk about those things. But yeah, uh, most of these are kind of prequels, kind of filling in details about the world. So, you know, let's go back to Legend of Galactic Heroes one more time. And finally, we are doing a lot more bonus rounds for Anime 3000. If you're not familiar with the bonus round, it's basically a review podcast where you review uh, DVD releases. And so instead of integrating that into the speakeasy, which we really didn't want to do, we're, you know, starting to do that a little bit more. We have uh, Kaleido Star review, first season. We loved it. Check out our review. Uh, it's the good Gonzo show. <laughs> exactly. It's really great. We have a Gwyn Saga part one review. So there's a lot of stuff we're doing on bonus round. And expect more coming really soon. And so uh, if anything else, remember, send in those emails. Give us those questions of the month, and I hope to see you all next time. Thanks, bye! Bye!